Last week I began a uh, mini-series within our series, The Throne of David. One of the things that I wanted to talk about over the summer was I wanted to talk about worship. I wanted to talk about us becoming a house of worship. And uh, the, the Lord, back, this was probably uh, whenever Easter was, I think it was late March this year, I remember preparing for Easter and I read Isaiah chapter 9. It's a famous passage, many of you guys would know it. But in Isaiah chapter 9, it basically says that Messiah is going to come, Jesus is going to come, and it says that he's going to reign on David's throne. And I, I, I just, you know how you can read a passage like 20 times and then finally you're like, I have never seen that before. It was one of those moments for me where I, I read that and I thought, wait a second. Why David's throne? If, if I'm God and I can reign on any throne, I'm going to start my own throne. <laughs> I'm going to be like, you've never seen Yahweh's throne before. It's going to be amazing. But David's throne, why, why David's throne? And what the Lord just began to show me over the next few weeks was just that David had so captured his heart that God, when he came, he didn't want to do just his own thing. He wanted to do David's thing. He didn't want to just kind of do his own thing and be like, yeah, humans have gotten it wrong forever. Check this out. No, he actually said what David had, he established a kingdom that looks like my kingdom. And I began to press into why that was. And probably the the most important thing that I think I came to was just that David cultivated a kingdom based on worship. David cultivated a kingdom that functioned through personal relationship and worship. That's what he did. And so that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about uh, David over the summer. But specifically last week, I had a whole message prepped that I was going to give. And uh, I was going to talk about David and Bathsheba. So don't worry, we'll get there this summer. But I was going to talk about David and Bathsheba. And the Lord is just like, he's, he, I'll just be honest with you guys, some transparency. He's working on my heart in the area of teaching. I've been teaching for a long time. It's been over 10 years now that I've been writing messages almost weekly and trying to prepare something. And one of the things that the Lord is doing is he's saying, you know, teaching is, can be powerful, but teaching can come without authority unless it's coming from a deep place in your life. And so what he's doing is, is it's so amazing. The Lord is so good. Uh, he just, in the past uh, probably a couple months or so, he's been basically breaking off this fear of you guys. I get up here every week, and I, every time I get up here, I got to go, I don't care what they think about me. It's pretty hard sometimes. But, I, but I, I, he's breaking that off of me. He's like, no, you can't care about what people think that you're intended to lay your life down for. Because when you lay your life down for people, it may look weird. <laughs> and so you got to get over the fear of how it looks. you got to get over the fear of what they're going to think. So he did that. He, he's been really like just releasing me from that. And I'm like, I don't care if you guys respect me or think this is a great message or anything like that. I, I just want to meet with him. <laughs> I just want to meet with him every Sunday. And uh, so he's been doing that. And, then it, and he's really been freeing me up then to teach out of a place of what he's teaching me. He's been inviting me into this deep place of just going, hey, whatever you're learning in discipleship, you need to share with your people. And uh, so he just has been speaking about worship to me and speaking about the power of worship. And so if you missed last week, I'd really encourage you to go back, listen to last week's message. We talked uh, just about how praise is warfare. 
uh, how, how actually when we praise, we plow a space for God to come and plant his kingdom. We actually clear a spot where no, nobody else in our town or, or very few other people in the town may be going in that direction. But we're invited as people of God to actually praise him and to create a highway so that the glory of the Lord can cover the earth like water covers the sea. Uh, that's, our, that's our call, that's our, our, our mission. And so uh, I want to continue that, that message that I began last week. So if you wouldn't mind, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. That's where we're going to be this evening, 1 Chronicles 16. It's right after, uh, you got 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and then you got 1 Chronicles. Or if you're new to the Bible, you can go to the uh, table of contents in the very beginning. And uh, you can find out where 1 Chronicles is through that resource. So turn to 1 Chronicles 16. Every human is designed to rule the earth with God. Every human. That's why it's so sad if you see somebody uh, who, uh, another human, uh, maybe a family member, a friend of yours who is bound by addiction. Why, why, it's, why it's so sad to see them if they're bound by addiction or maybe there's been a, a level of abuse in their life and, and so they're just kind of, they just almost, it's like a record that skips every time something happens. We, we call it like a trigger. They go right back to that, that pain and that hurt and it informs the way that they live and the way that they think. It's why um, it, it's so sad, I, I think, that today how victimhood has been exalted in our culture to be um, almost like a badge of honor. The more of a victim you are, the more important you are in our culture. It comes from a good place, but what it's doing is it's keeping people from stepping into the identity of ruling the earth with God. Because there's more of a benefit for remaining a victim than stepping into victory. We were designed to rule with God, and, and God has actually linked his arms with humans in such a way that the kingdom of God grows, it expands at the pace of relationship. The kingdom of God, it actually grows, it expands at the pace of relationship. God has designed uh, his kingdom so that it will not grow beyond our capacity to walk in the cool of the day with him. So here's what I'm trying to say. I don't know if I'm making any sense. But basically, in Genesis chapter 1 we get a, and chapter 2, we get an image of what humanity was meant to do, which is rule the earth with God. And we get this insight that God intended to walk in the cool of the day with, with Adam and Eve. And he did so with them. And you can imagine what those conversations must have been like, what that relationship, that depth must have felt like. And what he was doing there wasn't just describing, the scriptures isn't, it's not just describing this euphoric, you know, kind of utopian ideal from the past, but it's, it's giving us a vision statement for what God wants to do with all of us. He, he wants the kingdom to expand, but he will not allow the kingdom to expand beyond our capacity to walk with him. He's not interested in actually expanding the kingdom beyond our ability to hold his hand. We don't have a religion. We have a relationship. And maybe you've heard that a million times before, but hopefully it falls on fresh ears this evening. God is interested in expanding his kingdom, but he's interested in doing it with you. 
See, the reality is this. Once you've left the concept of family, you've left the concept of the kingdom. Once you stop pursuing family as a church, you've actually left the entire idea of the kingdom. In other words, if, if, when there's a goal for a family, let's say that, the, you know, imagine your family and your family has a family goal. It, it would be odd for your family to place that goal before maintaining healthy relationships with one another, right? It, it would be odd for you guys to pursue a goal, even if it's a good goal, if it meant costing your family, family. For those who are familiar with the church, um, you have probably seen the result of churches putting a kingdom or goals or, or whatever it else before the idea of family because those churches are marked by performance. Those churches are marked by, um, hey, you guys come in here, sit down, we're gonna perform, we're gonna do something really good, hopefully it gets you inspired and we're gonna go accomplish this goal. But when we say as a church that our mission our vision is on earth as it is in heaven. What we mean by that is that heaven looks like family. Our desire is to stay linked with God for the sake of the kingdom, not find ourselves out of link with God because we think that we're pursuing the kingdom over here in some way. Is that making sense? What that is is it's placing an agenda above building and maintaining family. And here's why we're looking at David all summer. David set such an example of relationship, being his highest pursuit, that God wanted his son Jesus to reign on David's throne to continue that pursuit. God wants to rule the world with us in the same way that he ruled Israel with David. Why is that? Why? Because of David's worship. His worship was the access point to relationship, which then became the access point to the expansion of the kingdom. Look down at your Bibles, verse one, it says this. They brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. Now pause for a second. Hang on a second. Didn't it just say in verse 1 they brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent, but then it says that they burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God? What, what, is he the ark? Is the ark God? What's going on? Yes, God's presence in the Old Testament was thought to be inside. It was inside the ark of the covenant, and that's where it dwelled. And so what we're seeing here is they're bringing the presence of God into the camp. At one point, the Philistines had took it. At another point, it ends up at another dude's house, and his whole house gets blessed. But this time, they're bringing the ark in to the tent, into the camp. Verse 2. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. He appointed some of the Levites, those would be the priests of the day, to minister before the ark of the Lord. How, what kind of ministry do they have? Look down. To extol, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, and next to him in rank were Zechariah, Jaziel, I haven't practiced these names, sorry guys, Shemaramoth, Jehiel, Mathathiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, and Jael. They were to, notice this, 
play the lyres and harps, Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the ark of the covenant of God. What's exactly, what's happening exactly here? What we're seeing is we're seeing a tone set in a kingdom that says we will be marked by worship before God. What are the priest's job? It's to worship. David saw worship as a primary duty of a nation. Uh, First slide up here. Uh, First Chronicles 25, we read this last week. David, together with the commanders of the army, set apart some of the sons of Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, for the ministry of prophesying accompanied by harps, lyres, and cymbals. So like I talked about last week, David had a military strategy meeting, and what do they talk about? They talk about prophesying according to music, accompanied by music. It was a military strategy. It was a kingdom-wide strategy to worship before God. Now, um, maybe you've been a part of many, many of you have been a part of other uh, communities, other families, uh, churches, etc. There are many pursuits of groups of people today, but very few of them see worship of God as their primary pursuit, as the primary thing that they're coming here to do. What, what, why are you a part of Saints Hill? To worship. Uh, I was getting my hair cut the other day, and I was, um, I, I was waiting, and I was sitting next to this guy, and we started talking and uh, asked him what he did. He was probably in his 80s. I, I think he's really an older gentleman. And, <laughs> and he says to me, he says, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor of a church. And he says, oh, <laughs> okay, I won't hold it against you. I said, oh, what, you know, why? And he goes, he goes, well, you know, Jesus is like my 98th cousin removed. I'm a, I'm a Jew. And so, you know, I'm not a Christian. And I, so we, I thought that was hilarious. So we started talking about it and we, he'd been to Israel. I'd been to Israel and, and we, we exchanged stories and all this stuff. And, uh, he, he said to me, he said, you know, I don't believe what you guys are doing, but as long as you're helping people, right, that's what it's all about, helping people. And you get this a lot. I'll have, I'll talk to many different people in our culture who are like, you know, I don't buy all the stuff that you guys are talking about, but so long as you're helping people, you know, if you're helping people, that's, that's a good thing, right? And I'm like, I'm like, okay. Yes, help people, yes. But the best way for me to help people is to be a worshiper. The best way for me to serve people is to serve God first. The best way for me to love others is to love him. It's, there's an order. See, the reality is that we cannot rule well unless we're ruled well. It was David's priestship his worship, his dedication beyond any of my other duties, it's worship, Lord. It was that that qualified him for his kingship. You were designed to rule, you were designed to reign, but you will not rule and you will not reign well unless you're a worshiper. It was David in the wilderness. The massive witness of the psalms that we have in our, in our Bibles in front of us. Those, those songs. I mean, we're still writing songs based off the psalms, right? It was these spontaneous new songs in the wilderness. New songs in everyday ordinary experiences that David had that he wrote about. And he included God and he, he created places where God's presence could come and dwell and shape him. And it was that preparation that prepared him to rule an entire nation. The point is this, David was a priest at heart, and that is what qualified him to be a king in public. You are designed to 
walk hand in hand with God as a priest so that you might be a king wherever you go. A king in your home. A king with your, ch- with your children. A king in the workplace. A king in your school. What was developed in him for years, ultimately, that, that, that culture that he developed internally ultimately became the culture of Israel. We rule well by worshiping well. See, whatever culture you foster internally, whatever values you have internally, even if you're around people you don't want them to know what you really value inside, eventually those values are going to leak out. Parents, you know this. You're like, you'll see your kids do things, and you'll go, who taught them that? Why are you saying that? How could you behave like that? And it's like, well, actually, that does kind of remind me of someone right there. (laughs) There is maybe a culture leaking out of me that's becoming our home culture, our family's culture. Have you guys ever been, just raise your hands if if you've ever experienced this, been in a room where the stress level is just tangible? Ever been there? You like walk in the room, you're like, oh, whoa. I think something just happened before I walked in the door, and I can feel it, right? Like, oh. Sheesh. Um, what is that? What, do you, what are we sensing? Stress, anxiety, comes from the worship of human ability. Stress and anxiety come from the worship of human ability and, and our results, especially anxiety, they're results of us realizing that we're not able enough and so we worry. It's an issue It's a circumstance that has uh, so gripped our heart with fear, and it's fearful because we know we can't do anything about it, and because we can't do anything about it, we're stuck. But it started by worshiping human ability. And that worship of human ability, that stress, created an atmosphere that you sensed when you walked in the room. So here's what we know. Humans can create atmospheres with their worship. (laughs) humans have the ability to create an atmosphere with what they're worshiping, whether you were there for the worship or not. You sensed it. So let me ask you this. What is your worship creating in you and around you? What do you worship? David Foster Wallace, uh, brilliant author, unfortunately, um, committed suicide a number of years ago. But he, he, he has, is famous for a lot of things, but he's famous for one of these speeches that he gave to a um, college commencement. And he, he basically said this, there's no such thing as humans not worshiping. Everybody worships something. Whether you worship uh, the earth, whether you worship um, some kind of deity, what, whether you worship uh, allure or sexuality, whether you worship money or power. And what he said is, is this, he says, um, All of those things that he just named eventually will eat you alive. You worship sex and beauty. You will never feel beautiful enough. You will never feel alluring enough. And as age and time take their toll on your body, you will die a thousand deaths before they finally put you in the ground. You worship power. You'll never feel like you have enough. And all the power that you do actually have, you'll end up using it to trample other people but you'll always feel powerless. And he says this, the only reason for worshiping somebody like the Christian God, like God, 
is that he's the only one who actually promises to give you life in exchange for your worship rather than death. What are you worshiping? What kind of atmosphere is in your home? Is it one of stress? Is it one of anxiety? There's a reason for that. It's your worship. Is it one of peace and joy? There's a reason for that. It's your worship. Let me spell uh, out exactly what I'm interested in going into this evening. Next slide. God wants to bring renewal wherever you go. Can we just all say amen to that? Wherever you go, he's like, you know, there was an ark with God in it. Now there's you with God in it. And so wherever you go, he's interested in bringing renewal there. It's so funny. It's like, we got to get God out of schools. It's like, dude, you bring anybody who's in Christ in there. You brought God into the school. I'm sorry. I don't know if you know that, but... Um, you got, a, you got a problem there. Uh, so wherever you go, God wants to bring renewal. Secondly, the culture in you becomes the culture around you. Nod your heads. We get that, right? We've been talking about that. Thirdly, his plan is to renew you through worship so that he can renew wherever you go. If there's a title of this message tonight, it's this, Worship Renews. Worship Renews. So I, I want to talk a little bit about how worship, it renews our thinking it renews us, and then it renews places. Many of you guys are familiar with this passage uh, in Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the what? Everybody say it together. The renewing of your mind. Let's all say this verse one more time out loud. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you, how, okay, so the world wants to change you. The world wants to give you a worldview. The world wants to actually give you a value system. And what, the, what Paul is saying here in the book of Romans is he's saying the only way that you actually combat what the world wants to do in you is by allowing God to renew the way that you think, to renew the way that you think about the world. What is the renewed mind? Have you guys ever heard the renewed mind? And you've, maybe you've just been like, yeah, that sounds nice. I'm sure that's what the Lord wants to do. But maybe some of you are here and you're like, I've, I've heard of the renewed mind, but what exactly is the renewed mind? What does it mean, right? The renewed mind is this. It's thinking heaven to earth rather than earth to heaven. Like 90% of you didn't get that. The renewed mind is thinking heaven to earth rather than earth to heaven. Do you know what most people do today who are many great followers of, of Jesus? Do you know what they do? They go, they're like, I would never allow anything in culture to change what the scriptures say about me. And this is how they live. That's interesting. Oh, man, uh, my, my, my brother has cancer. Hmm. Well, th that's kind of true, and that's kind of true, so uh, I don't know. Maybe God isn't that good. Or you know what they do? They go, oh, yeah, that's, that's man, that, that's really good. But, oh, my gosh, our car has broken down for like the seventh time in two months. God is actually probably not really for me. I'm not really more than a conqueror because, I mean, just look around. And then you wonder why most churches feel dead. And you wonder why most churches are full of powerless people. Why? Because they're not allowing, they're not being transformed by the renewal of their minds. They're allowing the world to syncretize with their theology and their thinking earth to heaven rather than heaven to earth. You were designed to think with heaven about earth's issues, not the other way around. 
What worship does is it creates a place for God to dwell. It says in the Psalms, he's seated on the praises of his people. What does that mean? It means that when we worship, God's praise, and we're not just singing songs, we're not just up here like, hey, music's nice. It's, no, we're creating a place for God to come and dwell, and where he dwells, what he brings with him is his kingdom, and what he brings with him is his way of thinking. It's what squares us away. It squares our thinking away. What, what has seemed, you know, you walk into a church gathering like this tonight. This probably happened for many of you. You walk in tonight, and then you encounter him like through worship like we just did. And what seemed so normal, now you're like, no, that's not normal. That's sin, and I need to repent of that. What seems so normal, you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't, like, this church seems like they think that people can get healed. I'm, I'm not sure. I have never seen that before. You're like, no, people can get healed. And my faith just lifted because I got in the presence of the one who's faithful, and it rubbed off on me. What seemed impossible now just seems so reasonable. Why? You're thinking with a renewed mind. You're not thinking earth to heaven anymore. You're thinking heaven to earth. The greatest threat to the believer is a mind that isn't fought for. The greatest threat to a believer is the mind that isn't thought for. Here's how a lot of people live their lives, and I've, I've, this, is my, this is how I know this, I've lived this way. They wake up in the morning and they consume throughout the day about three hours of news. I don't care where you get your news, you just consume three hours of news. And you consume 30 minutes of the Bible and then you wonder why your life doesn't look more like Jesus. Because you've been feeding yourself on something that isn't renewing your mind. If anything, it's corroding your mind. My wife and I have been really challenged recently. We love politics. We love thinking about culture and all of that stuff. And the Lord's just been like, yeah, in this house, as for this house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're not going to serve the opinions of other people and creating dissension and any of that stuff. No, what you're going to do is you're going to stand on the truth and you're going to allow me to renew your whole person every day so that you're not surprised when you face a problem and you have the answer. I have this uh, thing, and, and Andoni, I feel like I always come to you whenever this happens, but uh, I have uh, bad dreams sometimes. I'll, I'll, I'll do things in my dreams that if I did them in real life, I'd be in prison. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't. Have you ever, is that just, I, okay, you know, I'll just let it be me for right now. You don't have to raise your hand. That's just me laying myself, you know, out in front of y'all. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll just have these dreams, and I'm like, I had, I, I've had dreams where, like, I commit a crime, and I'm being chased by the police, and I wake up, and I'm like, oh, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I'm so glad. I'm never going to do that, Lord. I, I learned a lesson. I learned a lesson, okay? So I, I have these dreams, and um, have you ever woken up from a dream, and uh, you're like, it was just so real. I've had a couple times in my life, not very many, but where I've just woken up, and I've just been in tears because of how crazy the, I had this crazy dream one time where, like, my parents were, like, it was like an assisted suicide sort of a thing, and they're like, okay, this is your last day on earth. Like, what do you want to do? And then, like, the day came to a close. Have you ever been, like, it's the last day of vacation, and you're like, I don't, I don't want to go back to work. It was like, no, I don't want to die. I want to be alive. And it's like, sorry, you made this choice. And I woke up, and I was just, I was bawling. It's like, what? I, how did that, where did that come from, right? I think the Lord's like, I want to redeem that in your life, so I'm pursuing that. Don't worry about me. Um, but, but what my job is after, after that, my job is to wake up, it's to go into my office, it's to get my guitar, and it's to worship. Why? Because worship creates a space where clear thinking can exist. 
Worship creates a space where I go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's actually not true. This is true. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's not the pursuit of my life. This is the pursuit of my life. There are many times, guys, all throughout high school, or uh, towards the end of my years in high school, when I started following Jesus, where I would have something funky happen to me, and my emotions would be all out of whack, and I would just go, I'd be like, I'd be like guys, I can't hang out anymore. I need to go home, and I would go home, and I'd worship. And I'd kind of, there's this great psalm where it talks about the psalmist. He's like, I, I was so confused in life. I couldn't understand why these people were prospering, all this stuff. And then until I went into the sanctuary and I laid it before the Lord and it all made sense. Some of us need that experience. That's it. That's on offer every day. That's on offer in your car. That's on offer on a walk. It's on offer wherever you go, at your workplace, to just go, I actually need a minute. Put, put the headphones in and worship and let him square away oh yeah the, the pursuit of the kingdom is my is that's my pursuit there's no other project that's my project worship creates an environment where kingdom thinking becomes normal why well we become like what we worship we become like what we worship David, uh, he talks about this in Psalm 115 in relation to idolatry. He says this, Their idols are made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. Nor uh, Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Why should we not worship idols? Why should we not worship other gods? Why should we be careful in our own hearts to find out, is there, an, is there an idolatry in my life that I have yet to sacrifice, Lord? Because we become like what we worship. 1 John 3, 2, maybe one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, it says this, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John is writing about the future when Jesus returns, and he says, you know, we see dimly in a mirror right now, and he's, he's talking about, you know, we're, 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 it, we're in the image of Christ, we, we, we've, you know, we're seated in the heavenly places, all that, but one day we're going to be exactly like him because we're going to see him clearly. Though it's talking about the future, the principle is still the same. When we see him, it changes us. When we see him, it does something in us. Because of this, one of the primary pursuits of Saints Hill is to be a family who worships. I have a dream that this is a worship center, a place where people, um, we have friends in town right now who they came out, they made kind of a day of it, went and tasted some wine, and they're here, and my desire is that there would be many people who they come to this place not only to relax and unwind, but they come to this place to get the most rest, which comes from him, who is our rest. They come just to get in the presence and just to go like, okay, square my thinking away. God set me on fire once again. My heart burns for you. I don't, don't you love that song? I, just, I want that to be the case for our church, that we'd be a church where we can say our hearts burn for him. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about like, trying to avoid all the wrong things. I just want to be so focused on the right thing that I just go, we have the right desires. It's just to burn for you, Jesus. It's just him. One of the beautiful uh, side effects of worship is that it actually blesses the people who are around those who worship. So even if you're not worshiping, but somebody else is, it's like secondhand smoke. <laughs> it's like you get around that person. We should come up with a better you know, analogy. But anyway, it's the opposite. It's like reverse of that where you, you, our town is going to benefit because we worship. 
Newburgh will flourish because there's a group of worshipers in the town. <laughs> Here's what I mean. Look down at your Bibles. Uh, verse 2 says this. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. So after he worshiped, what did he do? He blessed. Verse 3. He gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. David has encountered a generous father, and, it, and so worship, his worship of that generous father led him to be more generous. Why? You become like what you worship. David gives us this example of how to worship by song through uh, verses 8 through 36. And then in verse 43, after he has just kind of ascribed glory and praise be to his name, and he's worthy of it all, and all of that, it says this in verse 43. Then all the people left, each for their own home, and David returned home to bless his family. And David returned home to bless his family. Worship is meant to overflow. It, it, it makes us generous because we've been shown the generosity of God's presence. Have you, have you guys ever had that happen? I, I feel like I've just numerous amounts of times in my life where I, I've entered into a time of worship, whether it's on my own or whether it's with a group of people, and, and I've just meant what I've sang. <laughs> you know, that's like, the, you want to know the key to worship is don't sing anything you don't mean. It's just like, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I mean this, Lord. I, I give everything to you, and I'm, I, the Rolodex of my life is open. I'm going through all of it, and I'm giving it all over to you. Um, it, it's, it's, it's entering into that place and, and blessing the Lord and having a revelation of his character and just getting a touch from heaven. And, and then you leave that space, and there's just this fullness that you carry. Have you ever had that happen? Just you're like, wow, I feel completely different than how I came in. I was just talking to Jack before uh, the gathering started, and he said, you know, I was just out with chapters today and just had this huge encounter with the Lord, and, and you could just see him. He's beaming. Why? Because the Lord just filled him up. Just filled him up. Anyone could say anything to us, and it would bounce off. You're inspired to serve, to lay your life down, all because worship makes us like the one that we worship. So if you want to know what Saints Hill is about, we're going to be a church that worships. I want us to be the generation that with every problem we have, we turn to worship. No matter what, what it is, whether, you know, uh, whether it's the argument happens relationally and you're just distraught over it, it's like, I need to worship. Whether it's the stress from the job that we just started and it's like, okay, I just need to get alone and I need to worship. Maybe it's in a different scenario, it's just financial blessing. <laughs> just abundance poured out on your life. It's like, okay, my response to that is to go and worship now. What we're doing with our mouth, with our bodies, when we live that way is we're saying, God, you reign over every part of my life, good or bad. I've been doing these uh, worship walks around uh, town. I just put in headphones and just listen to worship music, and, and I just sing. I just sing out over uh, this town that we live in. We, we, how many of you guys understand that we have spiritual responsibility in this town? Christians don't have the, um, the luxury of living like civilians. Uh, Christians are designed to be soldiers. We're designed to discipline our, our lives so that we actually see the kingdom come through them. We're not designed to just be like, yeah, I have this personal piety thing over here and then I just enjoy the fruits of the city and I go to this job over here. It's like, no, no, actually, you were designed to change the world, and anything less than that is you actually taking a step back from the kingdom destiny that God has for you. So I've just been doing that. I've just been, okay, I, I moved here. <laughs> I had, I, had, I had a life that I loved. I, I sacrificed that. I moved here. Why? Because I want to see revival. 
I want to see renewal. And so that means that, that there's a demand on my life then and the way that I, that I carry myself. There's a demand on what I use my time for. And so I've just been going on these worship walks and, 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 and it, what it's doing is it's going like, okay, if I'm going to worship God while I'm in this neighborhood, then the thing that maybe drives me crazy about this person or the thing that frustrates me about our town in this way or, or whatever, it means that I'm getting fresh perspective, divine perspective from his view, heaven to earth, about my town. I want that. I know that you guys want that as well. What it does is it changes the way that I think about my town, which changes the way that I act in my town, which changes my town. That's the plan. Worship renews. Worship renews you, and so that you can renew wherever you go. So let me ask you these questions. Where do you have influence? Where do you have influence? Maybe it's just a friend. You're like, I got influence with my friend. I think they'd listen to me if I shared with them. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's children. Oh, you have massive levels of influence with children. You have a responsibility to host him in such a way where people who may not know him get tastes of him without knowing it. You have a responsibility as a parent. Uh, it's a, let me say it this way. It is a glorious privilege to be able to at any moment access the face of God with that privilege becomes the responsibility to give it away to each and every one of your children. Uh, I, I know that there's a couple of, there's some of you who go to George Fox. If you have the glorious privilege of accessing the face of God, then it means that your dorm room is destined to look like heaven. It means that your floor is destined to look like heaven. If you have the glorious privilege of at any moment hosting the presence of God, which you do. He's not distant. I know there's a lot of theology out there about, hey, God, just he removed himself so that he can teach you lessons. I, I have a hard time finding that in the life of Jesus. He came because he loved. Is his, has his love run out? No, he's still coming. If there's any disconnect in our hearts, it's not on his part, it's on our end. And it's time for us to then find out, okay, God, where in my life is my thinking not in line with yours so that I can step further in and further up into your presence? If we've been given that level of privilege, then it comes with responsibility. So here's God's order. It's first heaven inside you, and then it's heaven around you. If you want to know the vision of our church, it's heaven inside you. You. I don't care how big this church is because you're here. <laughs> Heaven inside you. We're not building big ministry, we're building big people so that heaven can come around you. Our metrics of success are not, if people come to our church gathering, our metrics of success are, does Newber look more like heaven? Do your homes look more like heaven? Last week I talked about my vision of having a priest in every home, and what I mean by that is that there would be someone in every single home in this town that would be able to create an atmosphere through their worship so that the people of that home would have an opportunity to encounter the real God and make a decision. That there would be a man, woman, or child in every single home that would worship in such a way that, that every other member of that household would have an opportunity to have tasted and seen whether God is good or not. First, heaven inside you, then heaven around you. Uh, when I was getting my hair cut, there's a, there's a lot of stories from this uh, haircut of mine. Um, when I was getting my haircut, I was sharing a little bit with the, the barber about 
our church and about some of the things that we believe and, and what we're pressing into. And uh, he, he said that he followed Jesus, he loved Jesus, and so we were kind of connecting on that. And, uh, and he said, yeah, you know, Jesus is great, but man, following him is so hard. And I was like, mm, that's not what he said. <laughs> Jesus said that his yoke is easy. That his burden is light. Following Jesus is only hard if you're still trying to carry your own burden rather than taking on his. Following Jesus is not hard. If, you were, if he were to walk in the room right now and you were presented with live the way that you've been living or, be, or bend the knee before him, there wouldn't be a choice. So he says, you know, yeah, following Jesus is really hard. I'm like, I don't know. It, it says that his yoke is easy. You know what? Following Jesus is really hard without worship. Following Jesus is very hard if he's just a teacher and not your savior. Following Jesus is very difficult if you go to him and you just go, hey, yeah, you know, you're a good teacher and you did very, you know, humanitarian-esque sort of things. Oh, it'll be very difficult. He sets the bar higher than the Jewish law. It's difficult. It's not difficult when you say, you're not just my teacher, you're my Lord. And he comes and he makes his home inside of you. And now you don't live with your power, but with his. Oh, that's a light yoke. That's an easy burden. So let me ask you this. What culture has your worship set in your home? You have an opportunity this evening to go home and to worship. It doesn't matter if anybody sees you. Just turn the worship music on when you're taking a shower and just sing to it. What are, you do, what are you doing? He's enthroned on the praises of his people. You've just invited his presence into the home. I want to see a priest in every home. Let's stand up together as we close.